This is One Heat Minute. Drop of a hat, these guys will rock and roll. What's your name? Wayne Grove. Look like gangbangers working the local 7-Eleven to you. Robbery homicides take me out. Give me all you got! Listen, Give me all you got! I do what I do best. I take scores. You do what you do best. I'm trying to stop guys like me. A podcast dedicated to all 170 minutes of Michael Mann's LA crime opus Heat, one minute at a time. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to One Heat Minute. I'm your host, Blake Howard, and joining me today is a film writer for The Australian um, and someone who's actually spoken to Michael Mann, Philippa Hawker. Welcome to One Heat Minute. Thank you so much for being a part of the show. Oh, it's an honour. I'm you know, honoured to be here and it was an honour to talk to Michael Mann too, as you can imagine. Oh, uh, and and look, Craig Matheson. I am not who's worthy. Of, I say it now. I you, feel I feel extremely humble and and almost guilty to have had this <laughs> particular privilege of speaking to him. But um, yeah, it was it was one of those experiences where I mean, my fears, oh, I mean, my my and anxieties were it was sort of that I wouldn't be worthy just for in the moment. And he was really good to talk to. So it was, look, for, it was for Thief. It was for the reissue of, of Thief. And we will get we'll get to that. But guys, um, you know, as, as listeners of the show would know, um, we were speaking to the awesome Craig Matheson um, a, a, a few episodes back. So um, if you haven't had a listen to it, listen to it, Craig, one of the one of the heat obsessives in the world, like myself, and he all but that demanded. really was a meal. I've heard that one. It was really was a meeting of two minds. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was it was a very beautiful thing. Oh, thank you. I've Look, it, it was beautiful for me too because when I find people like Craig, I'm like, oh my God, where have you been all my life, Craig? I am this not is... <laughs> alone. Yeah. I'm not alone in the universe. One of us, one of us. <laughs> um, but he did all but demanded, Blake, you must get Philippa Hawker oh, on the show. Um, so, and and awesome. Thank you know, thankfully Twitter is uh, is can be can be a, a sucky place if you go down there follow a bad follower rabbit hole but i followed philippa reached out and uh she thankfully uh came on the show so what we're going to do guys as we always do but we're going to dive into this minute it's a great minute it's the 51st minute if you're watching the blu-ray warner brothers blu-ray on your uh player right now it's it's going to show up paused right now for me it's 50 minutes on the button um 50 zero zero and then it'll be um uh, 51 minutes is where we're going to stop but if because there are definitive editions and dvd editions and digital editions of this movie the moment that you want to queue up is a big dodge white truck pulling up against uh, next to sort of a dark station wagon with neil mccauley um just as it's pulling up that is where you'll find it so philip and i are going to watch this minute together and then we're going to come back and talk about it with you guys Put your hands where I can see him. What? Put your hands where I can see him. All right. I tell you what to do, I tell you how to do it. And with your right hand only, your right hand only, take the package and throw it in here.
behind you. On the right. Wowza. Yeah. From yeah. such a quiet moment, we get that explosive finale and we pause right on that 51st minute as, uh, as Chris Hillis Val Kilmer is getting ready to fire another shot on that assault rifle. Yeah, no, no, it's a pretty, it's a, it's, it's a, it packs a lot into it, that scene. Yeah. It really does. Yeah, yeah. Um, because it's, it's interesting because of, I mean, it comes just after that scene in which Vincent's got this break and you know that, it, that he's getting closer and closer to identifying them. So it's, so it's sort of this gradual, it's, it's, it's the beginning of an unraveling, but it has its own sort of fantastic self-contained certainty about it. And yet it's, it's, you know, it's part of this whole incredibly graceful and inexorable crisscrossing that happens leading up to that moment. I, I do love it because it, it's, you, I don't know whether, do you think people would know exactly what that space is that they're, like a contemporary viewer would immediately recognise it? I know you, you do get a, 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 a an overhead shot which makes it clear, but um, it's this, yeah, this scene of um, a meeting, uh, the handover, um of, um, in a dilapidated abandoned drive-in. Drive-in, exactly. Yeah, which um, is so I th- beautiful. I think there's, I think there maybe has a bit of kitsch value. You know, I mean, we're we're in Australia and uh, I'm based in Sydney, and there's a couple of sort of, um, sort of uh, Western Sydney locations that are really kicking off in, the, you know, more seasonally in the summertime. You know, we'll have a drive-in nowadays. You know, that have sort mm. of reemerged. But yeah, I think a few. I, I even think about four or five years ago, if someone has seen this, they might not have immediately registered that. It would have to be someone who was a bit familiar with what a drive-in actually is. It but, was. Yeah, but, yeah. But I think maybe there's that, I don't know, that sort of nostalgic kitsch value. They might have seen another movie that had a drive-in in it. So maybe that there's that. But yeah, it is definitely this weird space. And, and, it, when, and, it, and when they start firing off, it may as well be a gun range because it's, it's still like that, this perfect shot that we're looking on right on the 51st minute paused as we're watching it on the blu-ray copy that we've got here um it's you know you've got these little um white vertical poles that used to be speaker mounts um for for each of the um for each car that would be sitting in the driveway they'd be uh, in, in the driving rather um they'd be there and we can just see it and it's just this all these speaker mounts that have no speakers on them and there's dirt and scrub and and little it's bits like of grass. a western isn't it you can practically oh, <laughs> a terrible thing to say really but you can almost see the tumbleweeds blowing through. <laughs> and, and, and the it other is. thing of course is it makes perfect sense because what would be deserted during the day? Of but course, a drive-in. A drive-in. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and especially I mean, one that looks an like... An abandoned just... one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, of no use to anybody. No, no use to anyone and um, a, a lot of wide open space. And you talked about that, you know, the the inexorable crisscross. I love that phrase because at that moment, there's a lot of tension building we're here and, and it's just in this... It, even though it feels as though Neil is alone, um, we've seen already in the opening heist that that's most likely not the case. Um, in in this in this second though, you see um, this poor assassin. He did two films in 1995. I'm going to bring up his name in just a moment. Um, one of them was True Lies. Um, where he gets the bejesus beaten out of him by Arnold Schwarzenegger in a bathroom. Um, and he's part of a, a great chase sequence in that movie. And in this movie, he gets smashed in, in, in <laughs> smashed by a car by Robert De Niro and then fired upon uh, by Val Kilmer and Robert De Niro. And, and abandoned by his, his, <laughs> his, 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 his driver. partner in crime. Oh. Just, 
yeah, yeah, he's yeah. out. He's out of there. Um, but yeah, so you you get you get this great moment um, here, abandoned drive-in, um, and, and they come up. But you before before um, Chris sort of comes out in this moment, you don't know that he's there, but you get a feeling no, that no, Neil you would. Don't. You get a feeling you, that you Neil kind would of, be. You like. probably feel that. I, I mean, I think you already know how well organized they are. You kind of you know that whatever um, uh, is is going to happen, you expect Neil to have something planned, but you don't know what it is. And and that I mean, like he often plunges you just just that little bit into the middle of things. So you just have to reorient yourself a little bit. I mean, you you obviously you know the setup, and you've already seen, for example, um, when uh, when he, when he was actually organising this handover, he was multitasking because he also had his eye. He was watching. Um, uh, Chris's wife as well. So you kind of know that he can always, that surveillance is part of what he does. So you kind of, you sort of expect it, but you don't see it. Um, and, and you don't, you know, that, that just, and that sort of mix of um, orientation and disorientation is another thing that he does so really well. So you kind of know where you are, but not quite. I love that, uh, what you're talking about there, because that's a, that's, that's in Michael Mann's work throughout is those great scenes that don't telegraph where they are there's not really an establishing shot there's not a an intertitle necessarily i think he's used a few intertitles in his entire body of work um it's just your you know and i I think thinking a lot about miami vice and some of the correlations with heat um uh, uh, there is you know that great opening sequence in the theatrical release of miami vice is just right the, the film opens in a nightclub and you're in the mm. middle of the nightclub. You don't know any of the characters' names. You don't know anything. And you sort of you, you're you're part of firstly physically reorientating because you're kind of part of a dance at the moment, and you're sort of finding your feet um, on the dance floor there as you're in your in your cinema seat. But then you sort of find yourself. And I love that in this scene too, because even though you've got this big, you know, white package in this Dodge truck driving in this dilapidated drive-in or this space that you're not really sure what it is, you know. We know that he was going to do this exchange, but it's not. It's sort of not called out in that moment until Neil really starts barking instructions. Yeah, that's right. And even and that you sort of, and that that I mean, the film starts that way too, doesn't it? With introducing you know everything in the middle of something. Yes. Um, and but the other thing too that that he does so well, it, it, it's always. I mean, you get this sense that. Neil is absolutely in control. I mean, like the moment the guy drives up and rolls the window down, it's straight away click. It's Neil sparks the orders. You know, the guy's immediately on the back foot. Um, he's not in charge of it at all. No, and the great thing is that we sort of see that the the shot. It's at fifty seconds, uh, fifty minutes rather, and nine seconds. It, the framing of what is about to begin the dialogue. You see immediately that Neil is. Is he's got his little wired up? He's wired up on the offside. Um, he, he's able to communicate. So this is where you've already got a sense that he would be, you know, he'd be being watched or people would be keeping an eye on him and 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 this. But um, right now it's even more emphasized. Like he's okay. And so mm, he, um, mm. the the window comes down. He starts barking the instructions. Put your hands where I can see them. Yep, I'm going to tell you what to do. And then there's a great, this, yeah, great swinging sort of slow um, pan of uh, Dante Spinotti is doing here and this foot coming out of the back of the ute that's so great and sneaking up. And there's a, yeah, it's just one. And there's that little crunch of gravel and two. I mean, yes. it's not, it's, and the other beautiful thing is, is that this, the, the, just this subterranean score, I mean, it's, it's not a scene, it's that wonderful sort of quietly, 
um, melancholic, nostalgic, sort of slightly threatening um, score that, that is so fantastic in this film. And it, it, it's never quite when you'd expect it. No. And, and you certainly wouldn't expect it in this kind of scene. No, because it, and it's one of those weird things, and I'm starting to notice it more and more as I watch it and more and more as I discuss it, is that, like, Elliot Goldendall, I love how you said subterranean, but it's almost like that it, it's, it's, it's not quite even audible until, until it's, like, everywhere. It's sort of omnipresent. You don't really even mm-hmm. notice that it's there until it's there. And then um, we really start to hear it sort of um, clatter and have a lot of percussion um, right around the gun firing moments. Yes. So um, yeah. it really sort of emerges. But as you said, it's, it's all, it's there. It's this drone almost that's happening, but it doesn't, it doesn't overpower a scrunch of gravel. I love that because no. Neil is sort of barking and it's, it's, this is the benefit of watching this on a, uh, what I would love to do is watch it on a, in a beautiful 35 mil print with a great, you know, sound, you know, or, or see the 4K definitive edition um, uh, with it, with all the, you know, the trimmings on the sound. But it's great watching it on a Blu-ray with some great sound as well because you you can literally hear this beautiful scrunch um, that if if you weren't paying attention or you didn't have great sound, you couldn't hear it. But it's it's so perfect. You get there, so we get a sense that you know, with that scrunch, that they're not. They're not the best at this, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. It's it's a you you really wouldn't you 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 wouldn't expect that. You'd expect silence, really. Yeah. But um, I mean, but even yeah, yeah. That's right. It's 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 an indication that they're not they're they're not quite taking it seriously. And so this guy hands it over, throws this bag in, um, and what I love is that it, in this moment, just in this handover, it feels like it's, it's, he doesn't, he, you know, the, the driver isn't really burying the lead. It's 50, uh, 50 minutes, 42 seconds. And then it pops up. It's about 50 minutes, 45. And you just see the muzzle of a gun and Chris mm-hmm. bang. That's right. So, and it actually, it almost, I mean, you, even though you know, it's happening, it's that moment where you almost sort of see it for the first time as Chris sees it. Yes. And, and yeah, so, you, you're occupying his view. So you get that view. extra little shock, and so you suddenly, yeah, yeah. So you almost react with him in a way. And and what's great is, and this is the difference between a Neil Macaulay character, um, and it says so much about his personality. You would have thought being viewed by a sniper to protect you, mm. your first instinctive reaction is not to drive away. He hits it into reverse. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what? And what's more, and what's so clever about that is that you actually get the shot of the yeah, um, and and the and the sort of click of the of the I don't know what the even what the word for it is the gear indicator or whatever. Yeah. So it's such. So I mean, I think that it would be so. Any, I mean, maybe anyone else might have not given you that shot because it's almost like you get the the mechanism, you know, it's like the machine, you know, like the, the, yes. the chain of events somehow, because he does love to show you the chain of events. I mean, sometimes you don't see, you know, sometimes he omits things and sometimes he adds to your appreciation of things, but yeah, absolutely. It's and, a that, smart and that emphasis, right? So he was in drive. He could have driven mm. away. He could have protected yeah. himself first, but the first inclination, no, I'm going to whip this into reverse and I'm going to squash this guy. Ah, and and yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's just such an interesting, um, 
like he's he's not only esca- he's not only escaping to protect himself and getting away and, and, and establishing that cover, um, which will then sort of see us through to the end of our minute. But it's just such an interesting, uh, I, and I hadn't really thought about it as much in the way that it's emphasised. But you're right; it's like heightening the thing you're heightening is the mechanism of he's not in drive he's not in park he's in drive no. he's ready to drive away he's ready to drive away yeah and, yeah and and he's only just sitting there poised on the brake and then yeah you you see it from chris's perspective bang and this beautiful closing shot i hadn't really hadn't really pause this is what's so great some some minutes in heat when when you pause them at the end or as part of this show i'm just like god isn't that just a stunning Dante Spinotti at the peak of his powers around this time of his career, you know, 1995, mm. went into LA Confidential in 97. So, you know, shot two of America's best looking movies of the 90s, I think, you know, pretty much back to back. But yeah, it's just such a, a stunning little shot with Chris there up on the roof. Absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's, it's funny. I mean, and of course, one of the great things about, I mean, you, you must be, even though you know um, the film so well, it must be... Um, you must still be discovering things, I imagine. One hundred percent in almost mm. every minute. And what's yeah. even funny is that I'd I'd never it had never occurred to me, Philip. And I, I think people might be shocked, but it's like once you've watched a movie, some things have become reflex, right? You've watched it so many times, and it's not until you really scrutinise it, like we do in in this show, that you sort mm. of get the opportunity to do it. But even in that moment, I hadn't really occurred to me that he was already in drive. Right. You know, he was already in drive, and the clicks, the click, click, click to go back yeah. is reverse. Because really, he could just hit the accelerator, drive away. Chris has got a shot on the driver, which he takes. Um, yes. Um, uh, Chris has got a shot on the driver. He can drive away, and then he can reestablish and set that up. But instead, it's the reverse, the click into reverse. Um, yeah, the, yeah. Which the, and you get which you see and hear, which is kind of like an and it's all it's, all, it's almost like a bullet click too. I mean, you could yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's pull, he, his way of pulling the trigger in that sense, or, or yes. cocking the gun, which is the <laughs> yes. car, is to put it into reverse and whip yeah. it, rip yeah. it round. So it's it's another weapon. Yeah, everything's yeah. A, everything's a weapon, uh, a weapon. <laughs> with Neil McCauley when and his when, crew. Yeah, when you're McCauley. Yeah, yeah. So, look, I we ne- we now have to ask Philippa. Obviously, if you if you read the Australian, you know, really the Australian, probably the best. Um, culture writing consistently going around uh, about Astra- anything that's happening in Australian content uh, and beyond, and a lot of others are really you know try to try to reach it. But Philip is one of the staples of that that roster. Um, was lucky enough for strangely enough, and I'm actually looking at it on on a shelf right now. Is the Criterion edition of Michael Mann's Heat, starring James Khan, was coming out, and Philippa got to talk to the man himself about his process and about really uh, something that we talked about just prior to recording, which I'm going to, I'm going to prompt you with Philippa is talk to him about research because we're seeing these, we see it manifest in heat in really all of his characters and, 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 and especially Neil's crew. They're so proficient at what they do, but this is something that's been carrying through throughout his entire career. Yeah. Yeah. I, it was something I was curious about. Um, because you know, like he's, it is so. He's so. It's so carefully researched, and so sort of everything, everything. The background is so intensely um, worked out, and he's so knowledgeable. And I was curious about, um, 
sort of where that led him and what that was about. And, and um, I guess one of the things he said was that, you know, like it's it's useless. It's it's it, authentic. I suppose I asked him about authenticity, and his whole thing was that it, it was never there for its own sake. It was always at the service of of the story he wanted to tell, and that was that was one of the most important things. Yeah, because um, the, these guys, there's so much shorthand um, that you can tell about a character, um, and especially with man's characters in in how they do things. And so, you know, we, we come, we're coming up and this is what um, Philippa being new to the show doesn't, hasn't experienced as much. We definitely do cheat. So we can talk a little bit before and after and more broadly about oh, yeah. the movie. We don't have to be anchored to this minute, but even in just the, um, uh, you know, the way that these guys tactically work, especially in the beginning heist and then obviously in the centerpiece heist, the film, the bank heist, um, the way that they undertake their process to to get out of their, you know, to get away from their escape vehicle, to, to make their way, to make their escape and to, you know, assault LAPD to get them out of their way. Um, so much of that shorthand about how good these guys are, are in every movement that they make, every gesture they make, how they, how they move between traffic, how they cu- take cover, how they protect each other. Um, it, it, it's all that, that you never at any point, Vincent doesn't need to sit down and have a chat to his crew about their tactical training. Um, you don't need to hear those words. You just know by watching them, you're like, oh, these guys are amazing. And, and so if you, that, that stuff sort of bleeds in to how, how you're receiving it in a way. And yeah, and I, and I think, I mean, what is, it's, what's so great about him is he has all this sort of knowledge and research and background, but it's not as if he gives it all to you. It's sort of, he, he kind of strips away what he doesn't need but it what he's left what's he's sort of left is defined by what was already there so he really does kind of he finds the essentials and in, in and so but you can always trust him that he you know why people are, he knows why people are doing what they're doing yes and um and that there's this sort of understood background and you can you can start i mean sometimes you see it and sometimes it it's or you, you you could only see it if someone pointed out to you, or, or if he, you know, clarified it or something. But yeah, it's this. He's absolutely immer- and he has been for such a long time. I mean, you you would know much, so much more about that than I would. But that just how how deeply researched and by pers- by talking to people themselves, not just by. I mean, obviously he he you know he reads a great deal, and his influences come from all kinds of places. Um, but yeah, he he talks. He just talks a lot to, to people, the experts, the you know. And by the experts, I mean the criminals. <laughs> yes, and he it, hires it, them. He and, hires and, them. I, I, and you're right. Is that thief? Um, so Michael Mann's first film uh, feature was the Jericho Miles, a TV movie, um, and he spent time in Folsom Prison, um, like embedding himself with these prisoners and learning about them and learning about the hierarchies and sort of telling this story. And it's almost like it's this really weird thing that happens is some of the stories that then influenced, you know, the, uh, you know, how prisoners did their time and how they, you know, especially James Khan's character in, in Thief, you know, building this little mur- you know, uh, little mural, if you like, this little uh, uh, scrapbooking of what his, what his best life could possibly be. Um, that, 
that carried from Jericho Mile into Thief. And those guys, you know, the the people like Neil McCauley, those guys that go into the 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 big prisons and learn how to be better criminals, if you like, it all yes. car- it all carries through in this ethos of like. Uh, I love what you said there, Philip. It's like he he strips away these elements of these massive research undertakings that have either take very specific parts of his life or or other parts, and he sort of you know distills them down into this you know obsession. So with Heat, you know Chuck Adamson or Charlie Adamson, um, uh, uh, you know depending on what conversations sometimes man calls him a different thing. But Charles mm. Adamson is the is the real life Chicago police officer who killed the real Neil McCauley and was the basis. Um, it was his obsession with. Neil's professionalism that made man sort of trigger to start writing LA Takedown and then to Heat. And so it's like these weird things. He's spent his whole career talking to crooks, casting crooks, even in Thief. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's right. But I think, and it, but he said to me, and I, I'm sure this is one that, 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 that people have heard that, that, um, uh, that the, um, uh, that his crook and technical, technical advisor for Thief, um, uh, was um, was a bit self-conscious playing a thief. So he got cast as a cop and was so much better <laughs> yeah. playing, playing a cop. He's um, seen all that behaviour over and over again. He can imitate yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he felt so much more comfortable, yeah, being... I mean, so it's it's kind of... So, I mean, that that, that sort of... You know that that's so funny. That's one of the is, things how about funny is that that a, a big know, know, big time thief would be all self-conscious playing a thief. Thief, and that he'd be he'd feel more authentic playing a cop. <laughs> I just I think which is another another way of of sort of emphasising that authenticity is a is a complicated thing. It, it's it's not straightforwardly equalizing or or you know using some the original something or other to do something. It's 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 more. You have to be more alert to complexity than that. Yeah, and, um, and applying it to, you know, big screen storytelling. You you, you yeah. have, you got seconds to distill massive chunks of information. So it's like you, mm. you and and this movie for you know it's sort of, hundred and sixty to hundred and seventy odd depending on what version, um, hundred seventy odd minute running time. Um, not a second is wasted, to sort of have unnecessary exposition about something. Um, so yeah. it's it's you know it's really being able to go what absolutely has to be said to establish something and what doesn't. So yeah, that's that's really interesting. But you but this is the so for for fans of One Heat Minute, this is now the fifty first episode. This is we are talking to Philippa who has had a direct conversation with Michael Mann. It may not have been about heat, but this is our this is our closest degree of separation from oh, Michael Mann so far. That doesn't I. I I'm almost embarrassed by that. I mean, you, you, I don't know. You, you've got to be able to get to him somehow. No, that's that. That no, I'm just being silly. No, um. So we we had Pascal Buber, who was the editor of Heat on the oh, show, and uh, he was he's a, That's he, a little. That's a he, tiny. He, he was he was much closer, but no, it was um very cool. I mean, it, I amazing to chat to him, and really cool that the Australian picked it up. You know, like uh, I think you and I were quickly talking off air. It was like you know, it's, it, he, he's such a. He's not one of those directors that is easily accessible. Doesn't have a podcast network like Kevin Smith or something like that. He's a guy who sort of um, is a bit elusive when it comes to the interview. And you, and other than sort oh. of film festivals, so really cool mm. that you got to chat to him. Yeah, yeah, no, very fortunate. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that we were also talking about, which you know, is was his, I mean, his sense of place. Because I mean, this is obviously his, his, you know, Chicago is what he knows. Yeah, but but um, and he um. He, he, I don't know. This is probably a story people know about. You know, there's this great scene in Thief when, where James Khan asks 
Tuesday Wells character out on a date. And, and, and in fact, that was at a place where Michael Mann um, went on this really significant date with the woman who became his wife. So, I mean, he, he does like to have places with meaning, but I mean, places mean things to him. Yes. And, um, but um, uh, sort of location scouting, um, you know, is, is so key to, to what he to what he does, oh, finding I've... the right place. And again, that's a sort of it's like it's right in different ways. I mean, authenticity is important to him. Um, but yeah, that that whole because you 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 were telling me a bit about about that process. Yeah, I mean, this this movie has ninety five locations shot on in a hundred and seven days. And uh, Janice Pauly, who's Michael Mann's location manager, um, has worked on a stack of films with him. Um, uh, you know, obviously scouted a bunch of these locations. But one way that Michael Mann, you talk about authenticity and research, went on ride-alongs every Friday and Saturday night for like five and a half, six months. Like who, uh, just to get a different flavor of LA than had previously been seen. So it's pretty crazy um, to think that, you know, you've got such, he's already got such a foundational story with, you know, with heat itself that had been gestating for many, many, many years because the real Neil McCauley was alive in sort of the 70s in Chicago. Um, you know, he'd, he'd had a lot of that backstory. He'd even road tested some of it with LA, um, LA Takedown. But in the, in the wider preparation when he was really ratcheting this up to not just be a TV series, but to be the film that we see in heat is, you know, going out. At, yeah, like that, that level of, finding what is only what the locals can be and sort of taking it back to this this dilapidated daytime drive-in um you know this kind of place is only somewhere that someone who had had a detailed knowledge of la um or the la landscape would even consider to be a great place for a pickup because there's no one going to be there you know you have to know that it's a dilapidated drive-in maybe you've been in la for 20 years to even know that it's still there that's hanging around or waiting for a developer to come in and take it over but yeah really really strange Mm, mm. that's completely unorthodox i would not think that if you'd pretty much had a script already that you'd spend five or six months finding the locations that's a that's a that's a new level of commitment that is Actually, one other thing that he talked about in relation to Thief, which sort of make I sort of think of it in relation to Heat as well, is is sort of is the the sort of the political dimension of it um, that he kind of sees that 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 I mean Frank, you know that that Frank understands the world like you know he quotes Marx's um, theory theory of values of surplus value in in the same and that's his sort of mantra. In the same way that um, uh, that Robert De Niro's character has that quote about being able to walk away, they're both sort of defining notions about how they see their their job. Yeah, detachment. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so with yeah with, yeah, and, with, and, with Frank yeah. with Frank as James Kahn, it's like uh, the, the the that that Marxist uh, ideology. He's using that as an excuse for oh, this is why I can steal from you. Um, it's like Neil's sort of yeah. weird weird uh, detachment scenario and discipline. It's almost but like it, a strange... yeah, no, it is true. That's true. It, but it also does make us think of the the of the sort of the political economy of because I mean the thief is a much there's he's in a very different position like yes. the the thieves in um in heat um they, they kind of span different kind of places in the in the in the hierarchy in the scheme of things like yes. 
you know, there are sort of people who are much closer to the edge, like um, uh, the the character that um, that they pick up, um, Dennis Haysbert's character that yes. they pick up. As a, I mean, like perhaps I shouldn't. I don't know whether. No, no, no. His name's but, Donald yeah. Donald Breeden. You know, he's that, yeah. that that's a, that he's sort of this weird tragic um you know uh you know the tragic indictment of sort of um what happens when you try to ingratiate yourself back into society after being a prisoner and Mm -hmm. the the Mm. fact that you're going to be capitalized on like you're just an entity that someone can take some of your money and 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 almost you know his character bud court almost get you know that 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 real dirtbag who's his boss almost incentivizes him to go back to a life of crime because it's easier yeah, that's right, because everybody there's all, all these different levels there are people taking advantage of other people and it and and there's but there's much more of a chain of it and you can see it on a much broader scale in heat than you do in thief i mean it's just thief is more focused in a way it's it's i mean it's that that's they're both great but they're different perspectives on the same idea of of who exploits whom yeah and also um the 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 great difference uh the great difference i think between frank and neil so between james khan and between robert de niro's characters in thief and Mm. heat is there's such a like even though it seems so forced sometimes with frank there's such a great clarity of what life what what um the good life means you know, like oh yeah, and, yeah. And, no, he's, that's right. He's kind of he really feels like he can touch it. Whereas, and, whereas, and, and Neil's doesn't. That that feels very fake. Like uh, when Neil says in the in the iconic cafe scene, you know, you know that regular type life. What the fuck is that? Barbecues and ball games like that. He he has no clue. He has no clue what that life looks like. It's all this no. very escapist uh, stuff. Oh, New Zealand no. iridescent algae. Um, it's not. It's not. <laughs> It's not this. It's not got the clarity of Frank going. You know, like I want a, I want a family. I want a wife, and I want, I want a son, yeah. and I want this, yeah. and and I want, yeah. and I want, want to look after my, my mentor, and that's what, that's what getting out and living a happy life looks like. That's mm-hmm. mm, true. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I suppose yes. His, yes, sort of um, Neil's kind of absolutely sort of like he's there's something quite contradictory I and mean, he's pared everything down so like he's he's almost yeah. there's almost this zen way in which he's free of all attachments or so he thinks or that's that's the idea but he's got there's this sort of very there's this floating yearning at the same time yeah um, and what's really funny is uh we've, we've had one guest josh call but i'll give josh a shout out he's part of a, a great uh, podcast called the cinephiles josh is the only person i've ever met who thinks that neil's uh um neil's decor at home and uh amount of uh, cutlery and plates is is there's nothing wrong with it that's totally fine so josh um i hope uh you, you've uh, you've uh, you've kind of gotten out of your uh neil mccauley obsessed uh, uh lone uh, lone wolf i'll only have one wow. cup and one plate he's the only person who doesn't find a problem with it so <laughs> there, there you go pardon, pardon me envies that <laughs> i know sometimes you go god what if I only needed one coffee cup? What if I only needed it? And yes. there's a, and and, and uh, uh, speaking, of my, my wife and I have a little one of sixteen months. The amount of stuff that one accumulates with a, a bub at the same time, it's like, oh my god, the Neil Macaulay house looking out oh, into yeah. the ocean in Malibu, have that in a heartbeat, wouldn't you? No, <laughs> there uh, are there are those times. There sure. are those times. Um, yeah. Yeah. But look, Philip, I I I have to ask because you know you're such. You're a, you're a cinephile and 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 someone who <gasps> I'm really anxious about this question. No, I mean, so you know, someone like Michael Mann, he's a bit of a strange, protracted figure because I'm interested to talk to you because 
you know, his contemporaries really are people like Spielberg and 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 Coppola and and Scorsese and um, you know. Uh, 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 even branching out into sort of more independent cinema of like um, Cassavetes when it comes to cinema. But he was a guy who sort of stuck in, you know, he hitched his wagon in TV for a very long time. And so then yeah. by the time he makes films, even though Thief is, you know, such an amazing singular entity that comes in in, in the early 80s, um, he's sort of making all these real, these films that have a lot of parallels to, and, and a lot of, I guess, political philosophy um, um that have a lot of those uh, echoes of of that sort of seventies new Hollywood cinema. That's what I always re- that's why I always find him such a fascinating filmmaker. Um, mm. uh, is that is that something that you see in his work that he's sort of this weird, um, you know, this weird entity that sort of feels like a throwback? I guess so, but I also feel like he, he he's still he's also an un- underappreciated figure too. That's what I was thinking as you were rolling out those names was like how. You know, he, he sort of, he should be, he should, you know, he should be more, even more appreciated than he is. Yes, um, agree. That, <laughs> surprised me. You know, it, it sort of it, it, that puzzles me as to. I mean, I, I guess, I don't know. I, I'm not saying you know, where are his Oscars because that's no way to define anybody. No. But there, there is, but also I suppose is where you know where are his next films going to come from too. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I like um, the he's 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 a guy who's sort of been essaying this, you know, um, professionalism via sort of criminality for such a long time. And mm. there's so many people that talk about you know huge fans of his, and you see it on social media that that talk about they're like, when's the Michael Mann movie where he makes like Heat but that has women characters, or where's the Michael Mann movie that he does this? And I'm always interested to 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 hear what he's working on next because you know you, you see great shows like Luck, which um unfortunately was cancelled very early on because of some issues with you know the live livestock that they were using the horses in the show. Yeah. Um, a collaboration with David Milch and Nick Nolte and 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 um. Um, and uh, Dustin Hoffman, um, which you know saw Michael Mann go back to TV, so I'm I'm not sure. I don't know. I don't know where his mm. next films are, but uh, it's really funny. Or me- Black Hat went straight to video here. Yeah, Black, mm. that's that's a bit of a tragedy. Apparently, and this is the other thing I'll tell you. There's apparently a version of Black Hat that exists, a a, a new cut. He's done a new cut of the movie that's apparently different and better, um, but it's impossible to find. Uh, there's, you know, it's not on, I think there's a version on Netflix, um, in Australia, but I I don't think it's any different to the theatrical version. So some weird stuff there. Um, Mm. but yeah. And then the Ferrari project, which is the one that. Yeah. With Hugh Jackman. But ah, yeah. That was had Hugh Jackman attached to it. Some weird, you know. Is that like, right? I didn't, I didn't know that. Yeah, Hugh Jackman was attached to it for a little while, yeah. which is a bit strange. But it, I think it's funny. It's almost like Michael Mann's movies need like ten years of breathing space, and then people go, "Oh, that was really good." Um, and you know, with like Miami Vice, you know, which I really adored, um, a lot of people didn't like that, and 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 then they sort of come back around to it. And Heat had much the same fate. You know, it was huge at the time, but it was right in the middle of you know, Hollywood redefining itself as a sort of Tarantino age. So this kind of out of time version of LA sort of didn't get, mm. didn't get nearly as much attention. And then um, people come back around to it, you know, usually because there are imitators like the dark Knight, for example, which is just a big gushy love, Chris Nolan, gushy love letter <laughs> to heat. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. And I think um, I, I do wonder too, whether I think there are some things in um, 
uh, one of my favourite um, Hong Kong um, crime films, Infernal Affairs. Oh, feel yes. Very, very much, you know, a love letter to, to Michael Mann. And, and then... Uh, and then... And then the weird osmosis of Scorsese basically remaking <laughs> that oh. as The Departed, and so it's this yeah. big, um, you know, this this big sort of uh, melting pot. But yeah, no, it's really interesting. But you know, uh, um, The Insider and Heat, you know, as a one-two punch, mm. you know, in from '95 and '97, both such phenomenal films. And yes, uh, yes, and, and, of course, and, the, and The Insider got a lot of love at yes. that time. That 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 was sort of the one that that was most immediately. Um, I think, I mean, perhaps those two, yeah, were the ones that people kind of got Jump. on board for straight away. Jumped on, yeah. yeah. Well, well, I thought that, um, that um, Christopher Plummer was unlucky not to get a... I don't, he didn't, I don't think he even got nominated. I thought he was great in the inside. Christopher Plummer's pretty much great in everything, but I couldn't agree with him more. He's phenomenal in the insider. And, uh, you know, and, and Russell Crowe, I don't think, has really ever been better. No, he's, no, he, that's he, right. I mean, he's a great... That's another thing. He does... He obviously loves actors. Yes. And gets and I mean, which is in, and gets a great deal out of them, and in and finds sort of the best of them very often, in, in sort of, um, you know, I think, and I just, I mean, that's another reason to love Heat is just, I mean, I'm sure you, you know, that comes up over and over again. Those, the performances in it are just so dead on. And you know, seventy odd speaking roles. And, yeah. you know, um, and I actually, I, this is the other discovery of uh, talking about heat is um, there was a recent, you know, even around the time that they did the anniversary release and they had some Q&As with the cast, um, Michael T. Williamson, um, yeah. who who played Bubba in Forrest Gump, um, was <laughs> cast in this movie um, as a result of Al Pacino and Michael Mann being such huge fans of his performance and being so affronted that he was not nominated for an Oscar for that performance in Forrest Gump. Ah. So they actually recast. There was someone in the Sergeant Drucker role that they recast to get Michael T. Williamson in the film because they just loved him. They thought he was a fantastic actor and they thought this guy, you know, this guy needs, you know, um, needs a role in our movie. We need to find a way to put him in. And so, yeah, like all over the place, John Voight, Tom Sizemore's, you know, never been better. And, you know, this is at the time when he was just so phenomenal. Tone Loke. Time bloke, I know, coming yeah. in just for ten seconds to, yeah. and you know, you know, all those, all those, all those um, small roles are so sort of they just always seem so pitch perfect. One of my favourite ones is Martin Ferrero, who's you've seen his face before, and everyone, everyone would know, him, but he's he's the construction site clerk that. Um, serves Val Kilmer's character, Christian oh, because And that's such a great scene that because it's because it, there's, he spends this sort of kind of slight suspicion, but, oh, well, I mean, there's nothing I'm checking. There's nothing quite right exactly, here, there's that. Exactly. Identification. It's such a beautifully observed scene. And, and, it, you, and, you know, there's so many other ways that could get thrown away or the focus would be more on Val Kilmer. But that's he almost like that's his scene. That exactly. I was just going to say, Martin Ferrer steals that whole scene because he looks at him like, "I know you're using this illegally. You don't look right." He flat out looks at him, and there's a look that just says, "You don't look right," but you've got enough. This is all legal enough looking 
that I'm not going to bother. The boxes, the box. I, my, yeah. I've ticked the boxes. Yeah. Yes, yeah, I, yeah. I've, t- I've ticked the boxes, so I'm going to let you go. But just mm. know that by this look, I know you're up to something. And it's <laughs> yeah. like, like that that one role for me, I think he says maybe two words. Yeah. Um, those little roles in this movie continue to jump yes. out of the screen for me. These little mm. t- tiny flurries with these great character actors um, all throughout. But uh, yeah. yeah, look, it's it's... Uh, this is the amazing amount of fun that I have talking to new people wow. about Heat is that uh, I get, yeah. we get to go back and appreciate every single performance, every single moment, and none of it's have wasted. Th- have you thought about what you're going to do when it's over? Cry. <laughs> <laughs> Probably cry. I look, oh, I don't, envy, I don't envy the person doing the last minute with you. Oh, I hope it's Michael Mann. That's my dream, <laughs> oh, Philippa. That's I, the, the dream. The, the dream is that the very final minute of this show, and I'm, I'm gonna, I'm, I, I, won't, I won't harp on it too long. I won't keep saying it in every episode, but my dr- because you've asked, my dream is that the very final episode, when that swelling Moby God moving over the face of water score comes and Dante Spinotti sort of pans up into the black sky before the credits roll, um, you know, at the at the LA airport, that Michael Mann and I are talking after oh. that minute. That would be the dream. Oh. That 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 would be absolutely the dream, um, and it'd be extremely fulfilling. Look, it's it's been you know. Um, you're an extremely experienced writer and uh, I, I'm a veritable novice compared to someone like yourself. Um, so this has been such a fascinating and awesome project to, you know, to really scrutinize a piece of art um, um, and, and, and cinema. Like you don't, you don't, you're not often offered oh, the no, luxury such a, of it. Such a smart thing to do. I think it's, it's such a rewarding thing, you know, for, for, for for you and for people who you know who go through it with you and it's it's a really lovely thing to do and it's quite a generous thing to do because you're you know you're doing this kind of incredible deep dive and often people who do those kinds of things go down there alone yes. and sort of get rapture of the deep um no but, I, I know, have too much fun you, talking you've to you've folks taken us, you've taken us with you <laughs> really so i appreciate that oh look Philippa, thank you so much for being a part of the show once again. Um, guys, you can the the best place um, to to find Philippa um, is obviously in the Australian, but but um, if you go on to um, at Philippix, and I will uh, link it up um, on the Twitters, you can find her there on Twitter. Is there? Do you have a personal site, Philippa, that you want me to point no, anyone to? No, no. I Philippa, keep on th- I was wondering whether I should, but I haven't got around to it yet. Well, when she does get around to it, we'll make sure that we link you guys back to that. Um, thank you so much again for being part of the show and your generosity, and uh, and thanks for the, thanks for sharing the Michael Mann stories with the guys who are listening. Uh-huh. Uh, I know that people um, can't get enough, so thank you so much for that. That's so awesome. Not a bit. Um, and. Guys, thank you so much for listening. We're at the 51st episode of One Heat Minute. If you're still listening, oh, God, I love you. You are my people. Um, thank you so much for being a part of the show. Um, please do uh, let people know if you uh, if you want, if, you know, you've got cinephile friends out there or Michael Mann friends. Um, you need to uh, point them to oneheatminute.com. Thank you to Garth Franklin for our website design. Thanks for Paul Davies for our theme. Um, and thank you, Philippa, for being a part of the show, being guest host this week. Thanks again. Thank you so much, and uh, thank you guys for listening. <laughs>